Ask for a favor. Uh huh. Can I hear you say, come on? Kawaii. Come on. Kawaii. Come on. Kawaii. No. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Listen, I love Drew Brown from Pittsburgh. Come on. But his friends are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Not ramping down. We're just getting started. Nothing stops this train. Thank you. God bless. And come on. Hello and welcome back to the Come On Network podcast. It is episode 13 of the pod. And as always, thanks for the subscribe, the stream, the download, the rating, the review. We take any feedback you can give us and you can leave that wherever you see fit, including in the review section, wherever you may be listening to this podcast. You can find us on any device that gets internet or wherever you get to consume your podcast be that Apple, Spotify, Anchor, or another. Also, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram, as well as Twitch for gaming streams at Come On Network. That's at Come On, C-O-M-O-N Network, N-E-T-W-O-R-K on Twitter, IG, and Twitch. And you can also find us on the web at ComeOn.network. There you can find blog stories, features, columns, hot takes, podcast episodes. You can learn about our team and much more. That includes merch that is coming soon. And of course, as always, the Come On Network podcast is brought to you by Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor does everything for you and they'll do it for free. You can create and record your podcast live from the app or upload a pre-existing recording and Anchor will post and distribute it for you as well as even match you with some potential sponsors. Visit Anchor by downloading the Anchor app on the iTunes or Google Play Store or by going to anchor.fm. Well, we kick things off here on episode 13 of the podcast with our special guest on the pod and that is a name and a voice that you'll probably be familiar with as soon as you hear it. And if you're from Western Pennsylvania, that is, or have been around the area for high school sports, it's Don Rebel of the Trib Live High School Sports Network. And we'll let him go into his background a little bit, but he's been doing this for a long time. And if you, like I said, if you've heard his voice, you probably will know who he is as soon as he starts talking. So Don, thanks for doing this with us. And uh, I guess we'll just start with kind of give us your background for the people who may not know at least two of the four people in here. And by the way, Jack Hillgrove, Chase Johnson with us for this interview, Chase making his podcast debut. But uh, for those that may not know, what, what is the background for you and in, in the business and how did you kind of get started with it? Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, you know, I hate when people ask me this because when I start spewing how long I've been doing this, it makes me feel very, very ancient. Um, sadly, I've brought, I've been doing this longer than you guys have been existing. Um, I started out of college back at a small radio station that no longer exists in McKeesport, um, 1988. Um, they did, I really didn't follow high school sports when I was in high school. Um, but this station was a broadcast local games. Um, and so, you know, once I was hired, uh, part-time then full-time and I got a taste of it and sort of built what we were doing. Um, you know, I've been uh, in love with it ever since. And it's, so it's been over three decades, um, doing this in one form or another for one entity or another. But, um, 
every year, uh, this time of year, every Friday night when I hit that uh, microphone on button, you, the, the butterflies are still there, so that's a good sign. And preparing Don for a season this year is a tad different than years past. Talk about uh, some of the stuff that you and then uh, the others at the Trib Live High School Sports Network, uh, the meeting processes, uh, you know, keeping in touch with what the WPIL and the PIAA had planned. What was that like? And uh, were there times where you were down, not on yourself, but on the situation? Like, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get behind a mic this fall. You know, uh, Jack, I never really um, felt that way. I mean, obviously, it didn't look good in the spring um, when everything shut down everywhere. Um, but we were we were furloughed for about a month, uh, which actually, to be honest, um, I'm, we are all very fortunate because there are those who still haven't gone back to their respective jobs since this uh, outbreak back in March. Um, but, you know, I, I, I was always confident um, as the summer progressed. Um, I, I thought at times I was in the minority and feeling that way when I was talking to some coaches and specifically athletic directors. Um, but, you know, it, my, my partner at HSSN, Chris Harlan, has done a tremendous job keeping everybody up to date uh, with what was going on. And it was mostly from a state standpoint, whether it from, came from Harrisburg and the governor's office <clears throat> or whether it came from Mechanicsburg and the PIAA. I think a lot of people uh, were getting frustrated with the lack of information and were sort of pointing figures at the WPIL. WPIL had nothing to do with anything. They were sort of, their hands have been tied. They've been sort of waiting to hear from the governor's office in the state uh, whether there would be a fall season. Uh, we got that news late. We were, like I think, the last state to, to determine what was going to happen with scholastic sports, which in and of itself is a bit silly. But, um, you know, we have been uh, progressing. We, we, we actually got a jump on it, uh, our HSSN writing team. We've been uh, – we started uh, the process of previewing teams even before a decision was made because we didn't want to get caught trying to do all these previews in a span of a week or two. So we've been doing this for a while. Um, coaches have, I think, appreciated the fact that we were, you know, contacting them in late July and throughout August looking for information because it was a welcome relief and a positive sign that there would be a season. And there's going to be bumps in the road. We were already seeing that for, for week one with a handful of games canceled. But, um, you know, I, I think that uh, it's, been, it's been different. And I, I think if we all realize it is going to be different, those hurdles aren't going to be obstacles that bring us down. So going off of that, Dawn, uh, yeah, I just wanted to ask you a few questions. I mean, I take it now – that you probably saw the house bill that got passed yesterday. Yeah. Uh, so overall going on with that, I mean, it obviously it has to go to the Senate and such. Right. Personally, what are your thoughts about with, with this, since it's such a different season, we have, we have like, we're in the middle of a pandemic, obviously. Uh, how do you think that, uh, that having those 250 fans in the stadium, how do you think that's going to correspond with like living through the pandemic and things such as, uh, 
like that? Because basically, uh, would you be worried about taking the risk of having that many people in that area at that time? Um, you know, I, I think that most of these facilities, stadiums, are big enough that you can proper properly um, uh, spread people out. Uh, I, I know that the the nightmare right now with the very, very limited, especially the bigger schools, uh, really are pretty much still in a position where for football, they're not going to be able to have fans. But, um, you know, I, I think that there have been examples of when there have been events that, you know, if everyone uses their head and, and, and follows all the pro- proper protocols, that it can happen. I, I find it very difficult to tell the parents of a senior specifically. I know parents of juniors, sophomores, and freshmen uh, want to see it too, but the, to the parents of the seniors, it's very, it's got to be very difficult to say, no, you can't come. So um, I, I think there's more wiggle room. I would like to see the, that number go up. Um, and, and again, I'm not looking to pack the house. I'm not even looking for half capacity, but to at least get, uh, parents, uh, a chance to see, uh, their kids play, uh, in what will be their final season. This isn't college where you can oh, bring them back next year. This is it. Uh, so that's what, what I would like to see. I think it can be done, um, and, and done rather easily, but you know, what do I know? I want to jump a little bit away from the, the 2020 year a little bit. And I want to ask you, because I think uh, people like me or Jack or people who have worked with, whether it was the MSA Sports Network at the time or now the Trib Life High School Sports Network, we kind of know how crazy the, the studio is on a Friday night, whether that be for the pregame show and, and fielding every announcer that's calling in to help out with that or the postgame show with the roundtable and everything. How crazy is that for people who may not realize uh, just watching the show or listening to the show, how crazy it can get? You know, it's very busy, not only in the studio, but outside the studio. We have uh, uh, not a lot. I think there might be a perception that we're sort of like an ESPN where we have 15, 20 people back in uh, what I have termed world headquarters on a Friday night. That's hardly the case. We have a um, a producer we have a director uh, the producer of the show is in the studio with me uh director overseer of you know troubleshooter engineer whatever you want to call him uh chris lackner fits that role and then we have usually two this year will probably be one guy back helping pound the social media and also uh, update our site with scores throughout the evening so it's very limited but it's very active um i i think that if somebody just came in and watched for the first time their head would be spinning a little bit but you know sort of having orchestrated this for as long as i have you know it's you find something a nice groove that works and to me it's this the the whole scoreboard show pregame uh scoreboard show Friday night entity in the studio. Um, we've always had positive feedback on what we do. So uh, I'm a, I'm a believer in while you, you do tweak with technology and everything, if, if it's not broke, no reason to reinvent the wheel. That's for sure. 
So, Don, uh, and earlier you mentioned how long you've been doing it, and not, not to harp on uh, mm-hmm. that. I'm old. I'm old, Jack. I, I wasn't going to go there, but for as long <laughs> for three plus decades, you've been doing what you're doing. And you've been doing it in a pretty talented and a pretty like quality part uh, of the country to cover high school sports. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about, uh, I mean, because, and I don't want to bad talk any other part of the country in their high school sure, sports. But the WPIL is pretty awesome, and the WPIL puts out pretty good football talent year in and year out. So talk about what it's been like to not only cover high school sports for as long as you have, but to cover what you could make a case for is some of the best in the country. This is the 21st year of this network. It started as the Nauticom Sports Network in 99, uh, then became the MSA Sports Network, and now is the Trib Live High School Sports Network. Um, I, I think I found out how unique this area is. We had a successful debut in 99, and the folks at Nauticom, which was an internet provider, um, decided they wanted to expand nationally and hope to build what we did and, and take it elsewhere. And I was part of that whole process, and, and I found out just how Again, things now have morphed into more more and more video, but back in the day before video streaming became a thing, it was it was audio, it was radio. And when I went to Florida, Texas, Ohio, even on the other side of the state, eastern Pennsylvania, we we set up offices in those areas. And again, what was supposed to be a step toward national, which never uh, worked out, but I found out how unique it was in that. And, and I, and I remember as like a teenager watching the Steeler game and having the NBC announcers comment on how every time they come to town, they're amazed that Friday nights, everything stops because if you're not at a high school game, you're listening to a high school game because the listing of radio stations in the paper carrying the games was huge. Uh, when we went to those other areas, yeah, there was coverage. There were, there were radio stations, but not to the extent that we had here. And, um, and they, when we, when I would explain what our model was, they were just flabbergasted at what we did. Um, and, and we are able to do what we do here. And this network exists because of the tremendous fan base and the, loyalty and dedication to to high school sports. I always say, Jack, that, you know, our audience sort of, we have our core audience, the people love high school sports, and then it's an ever-changing loop, you know, as as your kids or your nephews or nieces go through high school, you become more involved, and then when they leave, you know, maybe you become less and always seems to be an attachment to your community and when your community is doing well, whether it's a, a community that a school district that does well all the time or one that has struggled and then has that breakthrough season, um, boy, it's, it, it, it's, it's a lot of fun for everybody involved, including us. Uh, yeah, going off of, uh, off of what Jack said, like you said, you've been doing this for years now. And uh, like uh, going off of that, um, this is kind of going to be. I, I'd imagine you, you've like you probably never have been through a type of pandemic esque thing like this. Um, so, like being in the booth on a Friday night, how 
How much different do you think it's going to be if pending right now? I mean, the, has some places will have a lot of fans, some won't, things like right. that. Like, how do you think that with this and the guidelines that set in the press box, how, how much different do you think it's going to be than what it would be on a regular basis? Well, um, to your first point, yes, I, I, I think some people might think I was around in 1919 for that pandemic. I was not. Um, you know, I, I think, Chase, once the, um, once the game begins, um, I think you, f- you find that comfortable spot that you're used to. Now, before that, you know, first dealing with the district that you're going to visit, finding out where you're supposed to go, what the setup is. Again, those are hurdles that we're going to have to deal with and overcome. And again, I, I understand the the school districts are buying too, because only so many people can get into the house, so to speak. And at the same time, knowing that no, you know, we have a very important job more so than most years, I think. Uh, because so many people who want to know what's going on in that stadium can't get in. Um, So I'm sure the mindset for them will be, we need to take care of these guys, yet we also need to follow strict protocol. So I think everything leading up to kickoff is going to be different. It's going to be different throughout the year because every different school you go to will have a different set of rules and regs. But I think once that ball is kicked off, when we're talking about football, I think then you can sort of like take a deep sigh of relief and and do what you love to do and what what you've been blessed to do. This might be an interesting year, even from that perspective, that once the ball is kicked off, we don't have a week zero this year. There's no extra scrimmage. Teams aren't playing two scrimmages and really – Teams have only been back practicing as a whole for a couple of weeks now. Do, do you think that affects the game in any way for the first couple of weeks? Maybe even it's more sloppy than we normally see at the beginning? Uh, oh, there's no there's no question. Um, and I think we've all done enough games uh, and seen enough games that you know there's a big difference between uh, late August, early September football and what you see in late October and, and, and into November. Um, you know, and I think that's going to be across the board, Kyle. I think that, you know, I was just thinking about, um, you know, the, the NFL and with no preseason games. I think you're going to see um, a lot more injuries. I think you're going to see um, a lot of ugliness. So that definitely trickles down to the high school game. Um, you know, and the teams <clears throat> that are quicker to adjust I think are the teams that have the best chance to uh, to be successful in, in, in this season. I think we've seen that in in the NHL and the NBA and playoffs and, and what we're seeing in Major League Baseball too. It's the most talented teams aren't necessarily doing well because they have not been able to adjust to this strange new environment. Well, since we're here now and we're getting ready for, I know uh, this recording on September the 3rd, teams are scrimmaging tomorrow and then week one uh, next week. Uh, out of the six champions last year for the football uh, 
for the football season, Don, what, which in your mind do you think has the most likelihood to get back and potentially repeat? And is there a champion from last year that you think will, you know, take a step back if it's losing seniors or what have you? Um, geez, now I got to remember who won last year. Uh, <laughs> I, I will say that uh, in, in, in the ever shrinking world of class six, a, um, you know, it, it really does look like uh, Central Catholic and North Allegheny are the, are the two top teams. Now, you know, um, uh, Central Catholic are, has already received, um, you know, some bad news with one of their top players deciding not to play. Uh, you know, I think he's really the uh, Aaron Donald's nephew. I think he's the um, first, at least major player that has decided, you know, because of everything going on, they are not going to participate. Whether you want to debate whether that's the right decision or not, he's already got his scholarship to the University of Pittsburgh. It's the same situation we see with college now. Um, you know, a lot of seniors opting out of bowl games uh, as they get ready for a possible pro career. But I, th- I think Central Catholic is, uh, is, is the team to beat in Class 6A. Probably one of the favorites, maybe one of the better teams uh, in the area and in the state in their classification is going to be Central Valley. They, I think, were not on a lot of people's radar last year. They pulled off that stunner in Week 9. They walloped Aliquippa um, to uh, become – okay, a team with a target in the postseason, ended up playing the Quips again in the 3A championship game and a game that went into overtime, Central Valley won. I think the the Warriors, they have most of their players back. Um, they are going to be, I think, heavy favorites, it'd be fair to say. Uh, Clareton's going to be a player in Class A. Um, Avonworth moves up uh, the, the, the 2A champions from a year ago to 3A. They're still going to be competitive. They lost some key players, and the move up is not going to be easy. They're, in fact, in the section with Central Valley, that Northwestern 6 section, which is uh, actually pretty loaded uh, with a pretty good Keystone Oaks team in there as well. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, they are what they are. They're a machine in 4A. And uh, 5A, Peters Township lost to jump in anybody. Gateway. 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 5A is difficult to call because Gateway, you know, the Davis kid is back. They're still going to be a player. Peters Township has just about everybody back. They're going to be a player. You have South Fayette, one of the top teams in 4A moving up to 5A. And then Pine Richland, runner-up last year in 6A, moving down to 5A. So 5A is loaded, thus the tougher chore, I think, for the Gators uh, to repeat in, in that classification. Uh, going off with uh, Jack talking about championship defeats classification, uh, now we're seeing that a lot of the end-of-the-season games, which most of the time are big games, are now pushed to week one. Is this going toward Washington McGovern? No, 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 it's not. I, wasn't, uh, I was just curious. What, uh, for those week one games now, what are, what are some of those games that kind of stick out to you that, uh, that are going to be very key parts for a lot of the teams in the classifications? Well, the one we just I just mentioned, uh, the the jersey you're probably donning. I think that I, I think it has been the last couple of years. I know a couple of years ago Charleroi was a part of the mix in that conference, that Century Conference. 
Um, but I think that the um, the winner of Washington McGuffey is definitely the team to beat in that particular conference. And that's one of the bad things about some of these week nine. These are all rivalry week game. Uh, the WPL has sort of gone back to that, trying to play that final week of the regular season, your big rival. Um, and so now all of a sudden that comes switched to the first, first week, which adds a lot of intrigue to week one. But um, that, that Washington McGuffey game is definitely one of the big ones. One of the marquee matchups wiped away, postponed, South Fayette and uh, Peters Township uh, in Class 5A. Now, again, uh, that game, Seneca Valley NA, uh, Baldwin-Mount Lebanon, and Penn Hills-Kiskey, those are all conference games that have been postponed. So those games, the word I'm hearing, they're going to try to make them up. I know it's a little easier outside of 6A to make up games because most teams, not all teams, but most teams, uh, we'll have that one week of non-conference games. And if you can, if both teams that had to postpone are available, they can make that up. I think Peter South Fayette uh, are doing that in week three, I want to say. Um, but, um, you know, our feature game on HSSN, our video game is uh, Bethel Park and Upper St. Clair, uh, two great South Hills rivals. I think expectations may be a little higher for USC uh, coming in uh this year and let me just see if there's another one that stands out. oh we we welcome and, and again i think this is going to be a pretty important game in this conference uh but the wpl welcomes a new team uh to a new member this year ligonier valley moving over from the heritage conference and in in, in in district six uh, they open up at apollo ridge those two teams are expected to be two of the better teams in the allegheny conference so um, again, some big games wiped off uh, coming up uh, in week one, but still uh, great rivals um, and some good football uh, coming up on the 11th. Twofold here. Are you, number one, are you surprised that there's only one team that has opted out, and that's Summit Academy Uniontown uh, recently last week, in fact, switched their uh, judgment on it. They'll be playing football now in, in Class 4A, but are you surprised that, that there's only one team that's opting out? And with a, the, the second fold of the question, I guess it's kind of unrelated, but uh, I thought of the opt-out question as I was going ready to ask. But uh, the movement that you had mentioned earlier with South Fayette, Pine Richland now in 5A, other schools moving. I mean, there's some that really stick out. Uh, is that a little bit weird for those schools at the same time as we're dealing with all of this, that now they're in a different classification and there's unfamiliarity there? on top of the unfamiliarity that we're dealing with in, in the, the world right now, frankly. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll answer that one first. Um, yeah, I, I think that it, it does make life easier for the coaches. Coaches want to make sure, uh, and Chase knows this, that every stone is, 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 is not left unturned. They want to make sure that they put their kids in the best position possible and if that's hours of film watching or video watching nowadays, um, you know, getting as much information on your opponent, et cetera, et cetera, they do. They put in uh, head and assistant coaches, put in tremendous amounts of hours. And I have the, I have the utmost respect for their dedication to their craft because nobody is, nobody is pulling in, uh, uh, you know, huge salaries to do, to do this. Um, but yeah, the, that 
when the, in the in the in the conferences where there's maybe one or two new teams, the teams coming back have the advantage. I think that's without question. Some of these conferences, it's just a hodgepodge. It's like new teams here, there, and everywhere. So there, to me, that sort of balances out and, and evens out. Um, you know, the first part of your question, Kyle, I would say no, it doesn't. This is a very follow-the-leader type thing. And when as soon as one school pulls the plug, it's sort of like, uh, you know, calling a snow day uh, at 5 a.m. You know, one school makes that call and all of a sudden all the surrounding schools around them sort of follow suit. I think if, you if more schools would have started doing it, more schools would have dropped, dropped out. Um, Uniontown, as you said, did an about-face, although they're going to be playing a, an independent schedule. They were going to be playing independent schedule anyway. But I think what, when, when nobody else opted out, I think everybody was like, okay, we're going to do this. You know, We don't want to be one of the few or the only one that, uh, that isn't going to at least put forth the effort for our kids. The Summit Academy thing, that's a, just a different dynamic all the way around. Um, you know, they only play two fall sports um, with, uh, with football, and I want to say cross country is the other one. Uh, oh, no, it's, it's boys golf. Uh, it's an all-boys school, court adjudicated youths. Um, you know, it's, it, it's always changing, kids in, kids out. So um, the fact that they opted out was not a surprise at all. I would have been really surprised if they would have tried to, to make a run at it. They have more important things um, because everybody, it's like a college. Everybody stays at the school. So, you know, they have a lot on their plate just to keep everybody uh, safe. So the fact that they opted out was no surprise at all. But no, nah, if others would have done it, I'm sure a lot of others would have followed. But once there was little movement on that part, um, you know, everybody put forth the made the decision that they were going to go for it. Don Rebel of the Trib Live High School Sports Network. Don, let's get nostalgic. Um, any favorite moment, and it could be not just football, basketball, baseball, other sports you've covered in your years covering the WPIAL uh, and high school athletics that stick out to you. It could be a game. It could be a moment, just a, a story with, with a coach or a player, anything like that. In all your years of covering high school athletics in the area, is there anything that sticks out uh, as a memorable moment? Um, there were a lot, obviously, um, and a lot of great moments. And again, I think that's what keeps you coming back. It's like a coach, you know, coach gets, um, uh, gets, uh, a great rapport with his kids and sort of keeps them young and, um, and he loves what he does and he keeps coming back. Um, you know, I think that's why not only me, myself, but we have, uh, other guys, um, other members of the network who've been doing this uh, as long. Um, or, um, and, and the reason they keep coming back is just great moments, whether it's a, a great game, whether it's a big upset, whether it's a player that just has this um, exceptional performance. Um, they, they are what keep us coming back. You know, I, I, if I had to put number one on my list, it would have been that um, I want to say it was 2005 um, 
double-A basketball championship game between Beaver Falls and Aliquippa. Um, legendary contest, back and forth the entire game. I was actually getting ready to broadcast the next game, which was the 6A boys champ or the 6A, the quad A boys championship between Upper St. Clair, Mount Lebanon. We were doing that on radio. We came on the air just as the Beaver Falls Aliquippa game was winding down regulation. Um, kid from Beaver Falls um, hits this dramatic three pointer at the buzzer to send it into overtime. And then it went back and forth. Another buzzer beater at the end of first overtime, sent it to the second overtime. Um, Aliquippa hits a late hoop in the second overtime to force a third overtime. And then uh, finally, um, the third overtime ends with the same player, and his his name's escaping me, and I apologize, um, hitting a, a, a shot from just inside half court Banking a three after Aliquippa just hit a layup to go up by two. Um, Cheater. Um, Lance Cheater. Uh, Just an incredible game. Uh, I know that anybody who was there, um, I I talked to Danny Holzer. I'm good friends with Danny Holzer, the upper St. Clair coach. He said him and his team, usually when when you're waiting for a playoff game to end, you don't want your team standing around. So they'll – go back to the locker room and, again, talk more preparations. He said him and his team were just glued. They were just so fascinated by this game that they just stood and watched like all the spectators. And I know it was a nightmare for the Palumbo Center because all these upper St. Clair, Mount Lebanon fans are trying to get in. Nobody from Aliquippa Beaver Falls is leaving. Uh, I'm sure the fire marshal, it was a good thing he wasn't around. But Lance Jeter hitting two – long shots, one to send it to overtime, the third to win it triple overtime. I, I can't think of a moment that was any better than than, than that one. Uh, going off what Jack said about favorite, uh, favorite moments and such, over the years, who would be a favorite player or players that you've got to either see or cover? Yeah, we, you know, we did the thing uh, when we were shut down. We called it uh, May Madness, and then it became June Madness. And it was sort of a, a fun thing that I had in mind since there was no March Madness and everybody loves March Madness. I thought, well, I'm some of the elite players from the last 20 years. You know, I mean, you could, go way, I mean, you could go way back, but let's just keep it relatively recent since we just completed two decades. Last 20 years, some of the great athletes put them together in a bracket and then have fans vote on Twitter. And, and it really – during a downtime when nothing was going on, we got a lot of positive feedback. And I enjoyed it because, A, I got a chance to talk to a lot of these athletes again um, and see, you know, what they're go- what's, what's happening, what's going on. But not only that, just g- doing the research to go back. And some of these athletes who maybe don't have the resume – I mean, everybody knows T.J. McConnell and Neil Walker, Tabitha Bemis uh, – uh, from Quaker Valley. She had such an interesting career. She started out, she was a gold medal winning gymnast, but then she had an injury and she sort of morphed into becoming, she was always a good basketball player, but she uh, morphed into becoming a champion um, diver, which is completely different, two different um, uh, sides of the spectrum. I mean, it, 
you know, just going back and, and, and doing the research on some of these great athletes, we've been so blessed. Uh, there have been so many. I always, you know, going back uh, to my early days, Brandon Short was, I had a chance to cover him. The great linebacker from McKeesport went on to uh, play in the NFL with the New York Giants. Um, LeVar Arrington, of course, uh, watching. He was probably the most dominant freshman. I mean, as a freshman, he looked like a college football player. Uh, and, of course, he went on to great things in college and in the pros, too. Tough to beat Terrell Pryor, though. Um, Terrell Pryor was just dominant, not only on the football field, but he was a dominant basketball player that could have easily gone D1 if he went in that direction. Um, you know, Neil Walker was another one. Everyone knows, of course, his baseball exploits at Pine Richland and then drafted in the first round by the Pirates and had a tremendous major league baseball career, still playing. Um, but he was an outstanding football player uh, as well. Great, great wide receiver. Again, if he decided to stick with football, he would have uh, been able to have a, a strong career there. So just if I had to pick one, it would be Terrell Pryor, but, uh, but man, there have been so many. And that, that May Madness or June Madness, and we're going to be playing back those podcasts on our website coming up over the next few months. Um, those, were, uh, those were a lot of fun. John, I have one more thing for you, and it's kind of off the nostalgic path a little bit. I want to be sure we ask you about Amy Shuderman coming in and the role that she's in now with the WPIAL and taking over for Tim O'Malley. And it's like, boom welcome to the business or welcome to the job and you've got a pandemic to deal with. Uh, so first off, I guess, how has she handled it? I, I, you probably talked to her at some point and kind of been around things. And then number two being, uh, what do you expect her to do is the head of the WPIL here? Well, I think she's proving her medal right now. Um, uh, the one thing that, and I don't know whose decision this was, whether it was Timmy's or, or the boards, but, they decided to have Amy really involved, knowing that she was going to be the heir apparent to Tim when he retired in, in July. She, she was really involved. She shadowed him. And by the end of the school year, even before things shut down, you know, once the calendar turned from 2019 to 2020, she was really almost operating things as executive director. Um, you know, huge shoes to fill. Timmy was the third, uh, and, 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 and I had a relationship with all three, um, Chuck Heberling, when I started, uh, he's the one who really built the WPIL. Um, Larry Hanley followed uh, him and did a great job. And then I, I, I can't say enough for the job Tim O'Malley did. He was, um, you know, it's a thankless job. No matter what decision you make, half the people are going to think you're an idiot. Uh, but he showed up early for work every day. Um, didn't hide behind the, the tough decisions, made them. And I, the thing I liked about him, he was, he was great with the media in that he wasn't a politician. He would speak from the heart and he would tell you why he made this decision or why he thinks this is good and this is not good. Um, very candid. I totally appreciated that. And uh, I think he had a great relationship with a lot of media members uh, in this, um, in, in, in this area, Southwestern Pennsylvania, Amy might not be that way. She might not be as open and that's okay. Um, sometimes that being open can get you in trouble. Um, but I think she's going to do well. 
Um, I, I know there was probably some questions. Did she have the resume to, to do this? But yeah, she is the way she has handled things. And again, a lot of it is more with this pandemic. It's more just waiting to find out what the state and what the PIAA is doing before you can even uh, go forth and do what you do. But I think she's going to be uh, good for the district and, and a wise choice to be the fourth executive director. And once things return to normal, I think uh, she'll thrive. That's Don Rebel of the Trib Live High School Sports Network here on the Come On Network podcast, episode 13. You can find Don on Twitter. It's at the Don Rebel, and the is very appropriate there because there is only one <laughs> Don Rebel. And you can find his work at tribhssn.triblive.com, including his podcast, the Rebel Yell podcast, and everything else that's going on in the Friday nights with the scoreboard and pregame shows at radio stations on the dial and at the website, tribhssn.triblive.com. Don, uh, we'll get you a T-shirt out with the Come On Network, and uh, thanks for doing this with us today. I appreciate the time, the questions. Great job. And I, uh, as being the lucky number 13 uh, guest, I, I wish you guys the best on this endeavor. Coming up next, as we will be going over the MLB season so far. We'll kind of look at our predictions as well. Uh, Jack and Chase will exit the fold. We'll bring in Ryan Simpson, Donnie Chedrick, and Joe Smeltzer for that segment. That's coming up next on episode 13 of the Come On Network podcast. The Come On Network podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, be that Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Anchor, or another. Listen to past episodes anytime you want, and don't forget to download episodes so they're available at your fingertips. We'd also appreciate a subscribe, rating, or review. You can find much more from the Come On Network on Twitter and Instagram at Come On Network. That's C-O-M-O-N-N-E-T-W-O-R-K, Come On Network. And you can find us on the web at comeon.network for blog posts, podcast episodes, columns, hot takes, and more, including merch coming soon. And of course, as always, a thanks to Anchor, the best way to make a podcast. And now more of the Come On Network podcast. Back from the break, episode 13 of the Come On Network podcast continues and we get into our, let's call it a little bit over halfway baseball review for the 2020 shortened MLB season here on the Come On Network podcast. A few episodes back, we talked about our predictions. Some of those look all right. Some of those don't look very good. We'll go through those a little bit later on in this segment, but we're joined by Ryan Simpson, Joe Smeltzer, Donnie Chedrick, I'm Kyle Dawson, and this has been a season that has been quite the interesting one so far for a lot of reasons. Number one, the Pirates have been probably worse than most of us expected. The Dodgers have been ridiculously good, probably to nobody's surprise. There, as we record this on Wednesday night, September the 2nd, their run differential is nearing plus 100, which is ludicrous for the Dodgers. But fill in everywhere else from there and it's it's been a pretty interesting season along with some COVID stoppages that we kind of expected to happen and here we are sitting at the beginning of September through the month of August and I think things are for the most part shaping out maybe how we thought they would but there are definitely some surprises just go through your overall thoughts I guess we can leave the floor open whoever jumps on it but your overall thoughts on the season so far 
Yeah, you mentioned uh, surprises, Kyle, and I think when I think of surprises with this baseball season, I definitely think about the American League Central. Um, going in before, uh, knowing how Minnesota ran away almost wire to wire with that division last year, and they were expected, I think by most people, I know Donnie had the White Sox winning before the season, which might end up being a good prediction depending on how the rest of the year plays out, but I think uh, going in, you expected Minnesota to be very good again with Donaldson being added to the fold. Uh, the White Sox probably expected to be better with the signing of Yasmani Grandal, among other things. Cleveland maybe expected to be the same, if not a little worse. And then Detroit and Kansas City um, not really expected to be factors at all. But you look at the division now, you have Cleveland and Chicago fighting it out for first, and the Twins are currently in third place. Now they're only they're still within striking distance within two games of first in the Central as of this recording. But it's definitely played out, I think, much more even than we expected to. And it's looking like it could be a three-horse race to the end of the season. And even beyond Chicago, Minnesota, and Cleveland, the Tigers, who were one of the worst teams in baseball history last year, they're above 500. I don't think that's going to last. But in any case, I definitely think this is going to be a season – Definitely in the pos- in a positive uh, trajectory for Detroit. I don't think this is a team that would have lost 100 games in a traditional 162-game season. And uh, props to that organization to have a very good farm system, which you're starting to see that come into play with Casey Mize being called up. Exciting things happening in Detroit. I think they could be back on the up again, on the up and up again within the next few years. So um, just – as far as surprises go, definitely the American League Central is playing out differently and much more competitive than we thought it was going to be before the year. It is not the Twins running away with it like I think a lot of people expected. Well, John, I'm glad you pointed out uh, that I chose the White Sox to win the AL Central, just pointing out how damn smart I am. Uh, along with the White Sox winning the Central, I also picked the Tampa Bay Rays to win the AL East who are doing so at the current moment, a couple of games ahead of the Yankees uh, at the the date we're recording this. And we made a lot of these predictions not knowing that the MLB would expand the field as well. Uh, We all made traditional MLB predictions where we had – Not to cut you off, but we had had five, the three division winners and the two wild cards. Five teams in the playoffs, which – uh, on, on the American League side, for me, it's looking pretty good. The Rays out of the East, the White Sox out of the Central. Uh, the Athletics lead the West. I had the Astros winning that. Uh, but then one part where I uh, am really kicking myself now, and you know, if I can rant about the Los Angeles Angels a little bit, I thought this was a potential wild card team. Joe Madden, the manager, uh, you know, the, the greatest baseball player of our generation, and yet again, they suck. One of the worst teams in baseball. Uh, I think they're tied at the moment as of today, September 2nd. They're tied with the Red Sox for the most losses in the league. Uh, not quite as bad as the Buccos in terms of wins. Uh, the Pirates with just 10 wins as of our recording. But I don't get it with the Los Angeles Angels. I mean, they, they have Mike Trout, who is consistently the, the best player in baseball, they're just pathetic every year. I understand that it's hard for one guy to just take over uh, in terms of a baseball game, as it may be for basketball or football or even hockey. But I would just be so frustrated if I were him to see my team so bad yet again, especially with a seasoned manager who has playoff and World Series experience like Joe Madden. Uh, 
another thing where I'm running into some trouble, my, my NL rookie of the year, Carter Keyboom got sent down, but at the same token of my uh, White Sox pick in the AL Central, I did pick Luis Robert to win rookie of the year there. And he's looking pretty good in a, what seems to be a loaded White Sox lineup. So much power coming out of that, uh, that I think could carry this team maybe to a division title. I think almost certainly a playoff berth. Uh, and then just one other thing I wanted to touch on, at least to me, uh, I didn't think the San Diego Padres would be this good. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. might be the MVP of this shortened season when it's all said and done. But even with how good the Padres are, the Dodgers are still handily ahead of them at 27-10, and 10, you know, winners of eight of their last ten. I mean, that's just uh, an incredible number in a shortened season. The, the Dodgers could go on to win 40-plus games, maybe 45 games, in this shortened season, that would only have them losing five more. Yeah, it's certainly a tale of uh, two cities, even though they're in the same city with the Dodgers and Angels. I had Anthony Rendon as my preseason AL MVP. That's not looking too good. But to get even more depressing in talking about the Angels, their farm system ranks 26 out of 30 teams in baseball. And given that there hasn't been a minor league season, I don't think that needle is going to move very much, if at all. So. It's going to be – Mike Stroud might be in his mid-30s by the time he plays another playoff game. That might be a stretch, but given how bad this organization has been for the past half decade or so, uh, things are not looking up in L.A., and I, I'd be worried if I was a fan of that franchise. Well, has he played in a playoff game? I mean, I don't know if I missed something, but yeah, it had to be early in his oh, – okay. Yeah, they got swept by KC, so he has never oh, won a so playoff So that's game. why. That's so. why – Totally forgot it. Yeah, I, kind of elaborating on the Angels, I was trying to tell Donnie at the beginning of the year that the Angels were not going to do anything. I am still a firm believer that Shohei Otani is not as great as everybody makes him out to be. Uh, if you have the chance, go watch a video that uh, Baseball Bits, uh, Foolish Baseball on YouTube did about Otani's uh, one-week stretch where he had an OPS over 1,000, uh, got a win, and everybody was just ranting and raving about him. I'm still not on the Otani train. It's just not realistic that a player can be a two-way player in 2020 baseball. Um, but that's all I really want to talk about the Angels because that's just an atrocious team. I guess my biggest takeaways as of right now in the season are how good Houston is doing and how abysmal Jose Altuve is doing. That is just what everybody in baseball really wanted to see. They did not oh, want to darn. see the Astros – Oh, no, not Jose Altuve. <laughs> I mean, after everything came out this past season and Judge talking about his MVP got stolen and so on and so forth, yes, they are a winning ball club as of right now, but the fact that the A's are leading the West is great to see. Uh, I did have the – I was not on the initial MLB uh, preview episode, so I was able to make some adjusted picks for the playoffs. And as of right now, the only picks that are looking really bad and uh, in, in my situation are the Twins, as Joe talked about. I mean, they are still in the hunt uh, with Cleveland dealing Clevenger away to the Padres. Maybe they take a little bit of a drop off. And once again, the Tigers are still in it. If they can steal some games away in divisional opponents, like who knows what's going to happen in the Central. Um, I did pick the Yankees and the Rays to make it. And the Yankees winning the division and Tampa being a, a wild card team. So that's still looking pretty good. Uh, I had the Braves win in the East, so I don't know if I look like a genius there, but they do have a three-game lead over both the Phillies and the Marlins. I have the Phillies being one of the wild-card teams coming out. Really wish they could kind of step it up. I thought 
Bryce Harper would have one of his explosive years as he's on a, a back and forth kind of track where he sucks a season. He's really good the next season. So hopefully that pans out. Did have the Cubs win in the Central. I had the Reds as the other wildcard team in the National League, and they're just a stumper, man. I mean, when you have Sonny Gray and Trevor Bauer who are just shoving every night, you have Jesse Winkler, who's basically a no-name in baseball to people who don't watch it regularly, having an OPS of over 1,000 halfway through the shortened season. I don't know how they're 15 and 21 at the time of recording this. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Their, their run differential is probably the main tell. Their run differential as of right now is negative 29. I mean, you have Castellanos who's going off, had a very, very hard, hot start to the season, excuse me, and – it just it feels like they should be the Angels this year. Like, they have so much talent that they should just be blowing everybody away, and they're just not performing. And then, as Donnie mentioned, the Padres are just absolutely insane right now. Uh, I did pick the Dodgers coming out of the West, but San Diego could make a run. I mean, I, I'm not going to discount what young talent they have. And, I mean, as to steal a hockey adage, like, you want to keep your legs moving. And we're halfway through this season. If the Padres can – stay relatively healthy and use their youth to their uh, advantage, then we'll see what happens. Um, but as for one player that I've been extremely surprised by, I'm going with Mike Jastrzemski out there in San Fran. This dude has astronomical expectations being in the family of an MLB Hall of Famer. And as of right now, the only guy in terms of war that puts up any kind of competition with Jastrzemski is Fernando Tatis. So I think – Yastrzemski's getting a little bit shafted by the, the writers and the media just because he's playing on a terrible team. But if he keeps it up and Tatis kind of slides a little bit, I wouldn't be surprised if Yaz gets some MVP consideration. And Yastrzemski is a great story, especially when you consider that, A, he was never in the majors until he was 28. Last year um, as a rookie, came on in his late 20s, which is rare. It's also rare – for descendants of Major League legends to really amount to anything, uh, with the exception of Barry Bonds and Ken Griffey Jr., uh, most of most guys that are related to MLB royalty end up turning out like Tony Gwynn Jr. or Tim Raines Jr. or Pete Rose Jr., guys you just haven't heard of. And it doesn't – obviously, Mike Yastrzemski is always going to be kind of thought of with his granddad because of the last name, and he's never going to be – I don't think anywhere close to the player his grandfather was, but he's making a name for himself and he's making a name for himself. I think kind of in a surprising way where he wasn't a hotshot prospect, wasn't in the minors of 20, 21, 22 years old, wasn't the majors in that age, excuse me. But instead he is a late bloomer debuting in his late twenties. And now at 29, I don't think he's going to win the NL MVP. I don't think the giants are going to be a good enough team for him to even get much consideration. But it's still a great story, and I think one of the better individual stories that baseball has seen so thus far in 2020. I want to go a little bit off what you guys said a little bit before I do anything else in terms of a year in review. The, the Angels, I had them in, like Donnie, as well as a wild card team. And, and I said at the beginning of the year, and I've been saying this for a couple of years with the Angels, they are pitching away from being a pretty good baseball team. I mean, the hitting isn't necessarily lighting the world on fire right now here in 2020. Uh, Mike Trout is, but that's no surprise. And they've got some other guys. But they, they pick up an MVP quality player in Anthony Rendon. And their best pitcher right now is Dylan Bundy, who couldn't cut it in the Orioles organization. And Bundy's got a sub-2-5 ERA as we record this, and he's been by far the, the most competent starting pitcher on that staff. 
the rest of the starters suck. They suck. <laughs> I just can't. There's really no other way to describe it. And the relievers, there's been a couple that have thrown pretty well, but it's it's such a limited sample size where most of those guys haven't even reached 20 innings at this point. I can't tell if that means anything or not from a reliever's standpoint. But the starting pitching, I mean, you're six or seven, eight starts in at this point, and you're you've got an ERA in the the mid fours. You're you're dog shit, and I don't know other any other way to put it. No, absolutely. I mean, looking at the stats here, the Angels as a team have a team ERA of 5.01. And just to put it in reference for our, our Pirates fans out there, the Pirates team ERA is 5.02. So just take what we are seeing in Pittsburgh on a nightly basis and put it in a different uniform. That is basically what the Angels are throwing out there on the mound. And also, just to throw out another stat, the Angels team whip is 1.382, which is right next to the Pirates at 1-4-3-8. So that Angels team is just struggling for arms, and that's where the, the pressure of Otani being that guy just didn't make sense to me. Like, Angels well, fans thought he was the end-all, be-all. I, I don't think the arm has ever been 100% since the surgery, and that's been a problem Completely agree. as well. Because if he's, if he's a number one or a number two, number three for that rotation there, in much better shape than what they are. I will say I have been a little bit disappointed, and I know we've had commentary every night with the Pirates games. Um, I've been a little bit disappointed, and I didn't expect it to be this bad. I thought the Pirates would probably win 23, 24 games, be somewhere in the mix. I knew they'd be bad, but I wasn't expecting to have to watch Miguel Del Pozo every single night get trotted out there, and Dovidas Nevaroskas get trotted out in a one-run game after a four-run inning. As we record this, it was last night, and Neveroskis is, is just piss poor. He's, he's not an MLB pitcher. I, I wouldn't be upset if I never saw him pitch for the Pirates again. Um, from their standpoint, I think there's a lot of conversation to be had as well, and we'll do that a little bit when we get into the trade deadline. You can check out uh, Ryan's piece on the Pirates trade deadline as well on our website. That's at comeon.network. Uh, but in terms of an MLB as a whole type uh, situation, I think Tampa Bay's been really good. I'm not really that surprised by that. The pitching staff's been good. That organization is great in terms of what they've built over the last couple of years. The Yankees have dealt with some injuries. I think Toronto's been a little bit better than maybe some people expected, and they put together a pretty good trade deadline. We'll get into that in a little bit. Baltimore's fallen off a little bit of a cliff after a pretty good start. Boston's just been absolutely horrible. Uh, Cleveland, if I'm an Indians fan, I'd be pissed, frankly, at the trade deadline. Mike Clevenger getting traded with the team that at the time I think was 21 and 13 when he got traded, I'd be, I'd be so mad at the Cleveland Indians organization. And listen, I understand Clevenger did the whole COVID uh, restriction breaking thing. And, but he's an ace bottom line. He's, he's, he's a one or a two in this league and you trade away Mike Clevenger. And now you're a team that's fighting with the Chicago White Sox who you could use a pretty good pitcher against the Chicago White Sox. Just ask the pirates and every other team that's played the White Sox this year, how it goes when you don't have good pitching against them because they can just beat the ball around the ball yard. Uh, Minnesota was my central pick. Uh, they're a game and a half out as we record this. I'm not really that worried about that choice. Uh, Detroit's been a little bit better than expected. I think Oakland's been really impressive. I didn't pick them to win the West out there. I had Houston, but they're only three games back as we go. And in the NL, I haven't been that surprised by the way the standings have shook out, other than that I had Cincinnati winning the division. And, and I'll, I'll let Ryan's words kind of sit with those because I thought he hit the nail on the head pretty well. They've got a couple of really good pitchers, a couple of really good hitters, but they just haven't put it together for whatever reason. Uh, and the Dodgers have been, as I mentioned at the start of the, the segment here, 
they've been ridiculous, but we all expected that. And 210 runs scored to 117 against as we record this, 27 and 10. So they're a little bit towards two-thirds of the way through their season, but they've been awesome. Uh, but the expanded playoff field, I think, makes things a lot more interesting down the stretch here in the last 20, 25 games or so for a lot of teams. And there's going to be teams that are still trying to catch up in terms of games played. I mean, the Cardinals are sitting here, as we record this, having only played 27 games. So they're 60, and we're in September already. Uh, with the drop-dead date of September 27th, they've got to get them in all or all of them in by. So we'll see from, from the holistic point of view for the MLB for the rest of the season how that goes, and we'll continue to talk about it on the podcast after we get through our uh, football preview episodes next week. But let's talk a little bit about the trade deadline, guys. Uh, I think the obvious winner is the San Diego Padres. They, they don't really have to trade anybody monumental from their system. I mean, Taylor Trammell is a really good prospect. He was in a championship team in uh, Amarillo last year with the Sod, Poodle, Sod Poodles. Uh, but that's really the only huge name the Padres give up in really bolstering their chances at winning a World Series this year. I think, like I said a little bit earlier, Toronto kind of pulled through and had a little bit of a good trade deadline. Other than that, I don't know that there were significant winners and losers in this deadline just because of the unique deadline that it was. You weren't seeing big names moved, and you weren't seeing moves just to make moves. And, and we'll talk about that with the Pirates a little bit. But uh, thoughts on the trade deadline? I think the biggest loser, without question, we know San Diego's a big winner. There's no debate there. But the biggest loser, I think, equally clear, is another NL West team, and that's the Arizona Diamondbacks. Going back to um, before COVID in the middle of spring training, you look at this team, they won 85 games last year. They signed Madison Bumgarner to anchor that rotation for $17 million a year. They trade for Sterling Marte, who we all know about. And looking at the roster in spring training, you're thinking, okay, maybe these guys aren't good enough to unseat L.A. at the top of the NL West just yet, but they're certainly good enough to be a wildcard team, certainly good enough to make the playoffs. And now you fast forward to August, and obviously a lot of things have happened that are out of GM Mike Hazen's control. But you look at the rest of the NL West, the Dodgers are still the Dodgers, the gold standard, I think, in the National League and maybe in all of baseball in terms of consistency. You have the Padres looking like they might be the team, the team of the 2020s. The Rockies are still going to be a threat as long as Arenado and Blackman are still on the roster. And the Giants, as bad as they've been the past few years, they still have a pretty solid farm system and a pretty solid payroll as well. So I don't think Arizona's future is doom and gloom with the trades they made at this deadline, basically punting the 2020 season, getting rid of Chafin, throwing Marte, Archie Bradley, and Robbie Ray with one of the worst records in baseball to begin with. I don't think there's any chance that they qualify for the postseason or come really close to qualifying for the postseason. Um, I don't think them not making the playoffs this year uh, necessarily means that the future is doom and gloom. They still have the number six farm system, according to MLB Pipeline, excuse me. Still have a pretty good manager, I think, at Tori Lovello. So I don't think the sun has set on this franchise yet. But you look at where this franchise was at this time last year and where they were in the winter with the signing of Bumgarner and with acquiring Sterling Marte, and compare it to how bad this season has been, even with crazy circumstances, you got to be pretty disappointed if you're an Arizona Diamondbacks fan. And with the strength of the rest of the NL West, with every team potentially being a player, within the next few years, you got to kind of look at what you have and get your shit together if you want things to be better in 2021. I think this team will bounce back, but definitely 2020 
um, has been a year to forget for Arizona. And this trade deadline was basically the nail of the coffin, nailing the coffin for them and basically saying, uh, fuck it, let's just play for next year. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to echo that Diamondbacks talk shortly. I mean, you have Marte there. You have Archie Bradley, who they also dealt away. Um, they had Taiwan Walker, who left for Seattle, and then who also just got dealt. But that team looked like it was going to be something. I mean, that West is always going to be the Dodgers. I mean, obviously the Padres are making a push this year, but for the next couple of years, it's still going to be L.A. territory. So you see Arizona, who's right on that cusp, and Colorado was there a couple of years ago too. But at, that division's just very, very tough to win and take over from L.A. But my uh, team to watch after the deadline is going to be the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, they acquired Robbie Ray. Taiwan Walker, Ross Stripling, Daniel Vogelbach, and Jonathan VR. So they got a bunch of very good players on their team. And looking at the standings and where they sit, they are 18 and 16 at time of recording. And they are actually in the last wildcard spot right now in the AL. So if they can kind of steal some wins from Baltimore, hopefully just wipe the floor at the Red Sox because they are just absolute dog shit as of right now. If they can kind of make a push here, and just kind of hang around for long enough, I could see the Blue Jays making a little push here at the end. I mean, they're, sure. not a, they're not a sexy team to watch. They don't have any, like, huge names like they used to a couple years ago when you had Encarnacion there. You had Jose Batista there. You had Donaldson there. But if, if they can make a little push, this, this could be a great propeller forward for them to build off of for next season. I mean, Robbie Ray is a very good pitcher. Walker had glimpses of excellence while he was in Arizona. And Daniel Vogelbach just forgot how to hit. I mean, he was an all-star last year in Seattle. He just forgot how to hit this year. So if he can kind of just hang around and keep his roster spot going into next year, the Blue Jays could make a little bit of a push. And then just to cover our Pirates here, I mean, <laughs> going from August 31 until today, we already have gotten news that Carson Fulmer, who was acquired off waivers, has been DFA'd from the team, which is... That, that shift with the Pirates there lasted uh, shorter than Donnie's Dino's run. Yeah, I, I'm so ecstatic. Hey, 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 my, my record has been broken, and we all know it. Like, <laughs> I, I, think, I, I, think, I think Carson Fulmer's time with the Pirates could equal Chase Johnston's tenure <laughs> normal. And you heard, you heard from Chase earlier <laughs> on the podcast. But that, that's a good point, Ryan. I was about to, to bring up Carson Fulmer, and, and he, he didn't throw a pitch for the Pirates. But in terms of what else they did, and I know maybe you agree with me to a degree, uh, what, what else they did I thought was fine. I wasn't opposed to them not doing anything at the deadline. Number one, if you didn't have an offer that was going to make your team better in the future, you don't do it. You don't just trade Derek Holland. And Derek Holland's not a part, part of the future either, but you don't just trade Derek Holland or Adam Frazier to get a body that's never going to get higher or maybe has the potential to get to high A or double A. You don't just trade them for a body. You get somebody that you think can be an impact in your organization going forward. And it bottom line for me is if the Pirates didn't have the offer to do that, then you don't do it. And I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but for me, that was the takeaway. And I don't think, frankly, anybody came knocking for anybody for the Pirates, except for maybe Joe Musgrove and maybe Adam Frazier, Chad Cole, Trevor Williams type guys. But to, to me, I don't think they got an offer for Holland. I don't think they got an offer for Rodriguez. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't even hear the phone ring for Keona Kelva with his injury history, the COVID situation this year. And, and him right now, I guess Todd Tomzik says he's throwing from a flat ground mound. So 
I, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't hear from a lot of guys. I don't think they had a ton of value from that end. Yeah, I know. I, I talked with Joe about, you know, some guys that maybe would draw interest um, from other MLB clubs in regards to the Pirates. You know, guys like Josh Bell, who's having a very down season um, after he went on a tirade for a few months in 2019. Uh, and then another name I thought of, which I know it'd be a weird guy to, to see go, but Jacob Stallings is obviously having a, a career year, but he's already an older player, quote unquote, by MLB standards. And even so, you know, what kind of value do you get out of that? And, you know, do you decide to just wait? If he continues the season he's having, do you try and see what you can get for him in the off season? Um. I definitely think he should try to look for things if Stallings uh, keeps us up and has a strong end to 2020. The problem is the catching depth in the organization is so bad. Um, you have Maley's Hurt, John Ryan Murphy, and some bums from the taxi squad, and that's about it. Certainly a problem with the Pirates is that there just aren't that many assets to trade off. I think a common misconception, or maybe not a common misconception, somewhat of a misconception, with bad teams in Major League Baseball is that an easy way to get better is just, hey, trade some players off and build your farm system. But you can't really do that if you don't have any assets. The perfect example of a bad team that had assets was the Chicago White Sox. Jose Quintana, Chris Sale, Adam Eaton, three pretty damn good players. The White Sox turned Adam Eaton into Lucas Giolito, turned Chris Sale into Michael Kopech and Yohan Mankata, and turned Quintana into Eloy Jimenez, among others. So. It's a lot easier to rebuild if you have quality major league talent to trade. The Pirates have some quality major league talent, but it seems like every player they have either has other issues, Keone Kella, has had a down year, Josh Bell, or isn't somebody you want to trade, probably down Brian Reynolds. For Josh yeah, he's, Bell. Okay, yeah, he's been he's off. The he's been off. In baseball right yeah, now. he's really bad. He's really bad. But my point stands. Um You can't trade Bell because his value is absolutely horrible. And I think the Pirates are going to look back a few years and regret not moving Bell this past winter when they would have gone the hall for him. It's just hard when your cabinet is so bare and everybody either sucks, is sucking at the current moment, or has other issues that you just aren't able to trade. And I think Keone Kella fits into that third category. So... The Pirates are in a tough spot, and with the limited amount of flexibility they have in moving players to get prospects on the big league roster, you kind of have to think the best option to rebuild is to go through the draft and draft well. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree, Joe, and that's a conversation I actually had with my dad talking about the Pirates' deadline deals. It's just we have all of these young infielders, and – for so many years, it seemed like we had all of these arms loaded up in the minors, and now they're all gone. And now we have all of these infielders, and we can't find positions for them. I mean, we have Cole Tucker learning center field on the fly. Like, what are we doing as an organization right now? Like, getting back to the trade deadline stuff, I'm surprised Dyson lasted this long in a Pirates uniform. When he came in at spring training, he was kind of quoted as saying, like, yeah, I'm just here to play until I go somewhere else. Like, I, I just wanted a contract. So it's going to be interesting coming up. But as Kyle said, I didn't really see the Pirates making any big moves. And 
the the injuries to the pitching staff have kind of been a blessing in disguise for Pirates fans because going back to guys who were kind of in ruts, you have Musgrove, who was a very decent pitcher in Houston, now hurt. You have Mitch Keller, who's one of the last arms the Pirates drafted, who's supposed to be this stud, comes up, can't stay healthy. Came out the end of last year, wasn't good. You have Nick Birdie, who comes up. Looks like he's going to have a very bright future. Gets hurt. You have Kella, who was a deadline deal last year. Gets hurt. We have all of these very, very good players, but they can't seem to stay healthy and or have other issues going on. So I'm kind of okay with what GM Ben Charrington did. I don't think he had much to work with, and I'm totally okay with just kind of staying put this year. But let's just hope for the best next year. And the key Brian Hayes show has begun at PNC Park and with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Well, that's it for episode 13 of the pod. As always, thanks for the subscribe, the stream, the download, the rating, the review. We'd appreciate any feedback. You can leave that wherever you see fit. And you can find us on any device that gets internet, wherever you get and consume your podcast, be that Apple, Spotify, Anchor, or another. And you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch at Come On Network. That's C-O-M-O-N-N-E-T-W-O-R-K on Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch and online at comeon.network, blog posts, features, columns, hot takes, and the podcast episodes and much, much more, including merch that is coming soon. Of course, as always, the Come On Network podcast is brought to you by Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor does everything for you, and they'll do it for free. You can create and record your podcast live from the app or upload a pre-existing recording, and Anchor will post and distribute it for you as well as match you with some potential sponsors. Visit Anchor by downloading the Anchor app on the iTunes or Google Play Store by going to anchor.fm. Coming up on Monday, we will be releasing our 2020-21 NFL season preview that includes our very entertaining and informative sit-down with NFL Hall of Fame writer and Pittsburgh native John Clayton. You know who he is, or that is coming your way on Monday, August 7th, as the NFL season picks off next week. And on Friday next week, we'll have the Steelers preview uh, as well from the Come On Network podcast. So be on the lookout for those two big episodes next week. We can't wait to bring those to you. But until next time, we ask that you stay safe. You stay happy and come on.